Welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to really dive into demystifying those differences between a 1099 contractor and the W-2 employee. If you really want to upset your tax professional, maybe mess with them and tell them you're a 1099 employee. So if that doesn't make any sense, or if you're intrigued on why that would irritate them, be sure to listen to this show. You're going to love it. Our guest is fantastic. Dives right into these details for us, as always. But let's take a moment. Thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by The Mortgage Shop. Are you looking to qualify for an investment credit loan without jumping through hoops? That's easy. They have loans with LTV up to 89.99%. Exploring their products and discovering how they can work for you is simple. Just visit mortgage.shop or call 865-325-2566 and tell them TTF sent you. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast. I am John Terpolsky, the co-host here from the TTF team. As always, Chris Picuro, our little tax wizard, is here with us. We uh, we reeled him back in, as always. So how's it going, Chris? Little tax wizard. is that? Are you alluding to my really geeky days of playing Dungeons & Dragons when I was a kid? No, I was, just, I was referring to the amount of hair that you have. Very little. So I, I haven't... Right, right. You know what? You, you, know, you, you say the pickleball jokes... And then I get to pull out the hair jokes on you. So this works out great. So we got a great topic. As I always say, and by the way, I know I always say we have a great topic. If they weren't good, we wouldn't do them. So we're going to do a nice comparison between W-2s and 1099s. So if you don't know which one of those you really fall into, you may have bigger problems. Um, but that's why we bring on these guests. So, so Chris, why don't you tell us about our guest for today who's joined us on this topic? Well, we are honored to have Jason Mall. CPA and enrolled agent, actually. You've got both bases covered. Uh, straight out of the mean streets of Spring Hill, Tennessee. <laughs> so pretty much my neighbor. Um, Jason and I have known each other for, gosh, almost since I moved here, uh, down here to Middle Tennessee. for, um, And he has his own CPA practice. Um, he does an amazing job. I'll let him kind of talk about his niche. But uh, he he's a young guy, but also is full, uh, really hands-on with his clients, uh, not only on the tax planning preparation side, but also helps them with uh, bookkeeping, getting set up on QuickBooks Online. And he's a perfect person to have come in to talk about W-2 versus 1099. We get a lot of questions sent to us about employer classification. There's some technical issues with the IRS on that. Um, and Jason has probably heard if, we, if we, him and I had a dollar every time someone said, "Hey, I'm a W two employee or a, a 1099 employee or a W two contract," like you can't be both. You are either one or the other. Um, and we really, but but from a teaching tax flow's perspective, we really want people to understand that uh, traditionally it was it was better to be have a receive a W two, but actually it could be better to get a 1099. But regardless of what's better, um, we have to understand the differences between those two employer employee classifications. And W-2 and 1099 are simply IRS tax forms that are sent to an employee or an independent contractor. But Jason, welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Show. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys having me. Our pleasure. Can you tell us uh, 
Can you tell us about your practice? And you have a really unique story coming from the entertainment industry. Um, you're probably the only person that's moved from California to Middle Tennessee. Oh, here's our guy. We've got to mention California on the show. Um, <laughs> but I can't, can you tell us a little bit about your yourself uh, and what led you to start your own CPA practice and, and, and a little bit about your practice? Absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, you mentioned I am a CPA, also an enrolled agent. <clears throat> I kind of got the enrolled agent as I was working through the CPA exams, just to kind of allow me to to jump in and start working with clients and building the practice. But um, like you mentioned, I'm originally from Orange County, California, Southern California. Um, and yeah, I got my start in entertainment and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't intentional. Um, it just so happened that when I was, you know, in college looking for jobs, trying to find a place to land and, and learn, you know, the business and the industry I was working with a recruiter. And it just so happens that 75 to 80% of the CPA firms that they place people with are entertainment firms. So, um, kind of just got thrown into it, started off doing roles, um, more on the business management side. So it's kind of like a bookkeeper and a, a glorified executive assistant rolled into one. And, um, I knew, I knew early on that I wanted to do tax, um, you know, just with tax being such a huge part of someone's financial life, arguably it's one of the biggest expenses that we have in our life. Um, I wanted to know it and be able to understand it for myself. And I also knew that's, you know, just going to be a huge way to add value to clients. Um, really to put it plainly, it's kind of an easy sell if you know it and know how to talk people through it. So, um, <clears throat> worked at, a smaller firm doing business management, kind of moved to a larger firm that was um, a lot bigger, um, about 50 employees there. And I worked exclusively in the tax department. Um, that firm also had an in-house uh, wealth management firm that had almost a billion dollars of assets under management. So I got some experience working there as well. But um, I knew pretty early on uh, I wasn't going to do well working for somebody else. So, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to kind of work for myself. So I started picking up clients really as early as I could. And then, um, back in 2018, when we moved to Nashville from Southern California, I kind of just took the leap and quit working for other people and started growing organically. So, um, still working with people in entertainment a little bit, um, more so, you know, in Southern California, it was kind of TV and film moving out here, working a little bit more with people in music. Uh, but lately I've come become a little bit more of a generalist, um, working with really any small business owner that uh, needs help and and wants to work with me. So that's that's kind of where we stand today. Awesome. I appreciate that. And and kind of segueing into this issue, well, the reason we really wanted to have you on as the guest of this show is that this this employee employer employee employment, sorry, employment classification. Is gets more difficult the smaller a business is, um, and you probably have a lot of your clients come to you with with questions of how to qual how to classify labor. Um, so, we're going to take away. We can talk about the tax advantages of each each side uh, in a few minutes. But what what advice would you give as far as uh, what, what are things to consider um, when if you have a client come to you and say, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about." hiring someone. I'm really not sure if I sh they should be on payroll or not. Yeah. 
for me, kind of the nuts and bolts of that question and the answer, it comes down to really talking with the person that you're going to hire, getting a, a feel for what they're going to do, um, getting a feel for uh, their understanding of what a W-2 employee is versus a 1099 contractor. Uh, if you have somebody that, you know, say you're bringing in someone to help you as an executive assistant, um, that person, they might have some other random job and they might be coming in and you're going to teach them how to do it. They're not working for other people in that capacity. Uh, they don't even know what a 1099 contractor is. Um, you know, that's a situation where you're either going to have to educate them and say, you know, Hey, is this something that you want to work for us exclusively? In which case, you know, we can bring you on as a W-2 employee, um, you know, pay that half of the social security and Medicare tax kind of train you for this role. Or is it something where, you know, maybe you want to work for us part-time, maybe you want to have some other clients that you work with, um, doing the same thing. So really it comes down to having a conversation with the persons you're hiring and kind of setting expectations for, you know, what exactly the role is. And Jason, did you ever talk with any clients by way of business owners that, I mean, it's kind of an old way of thinking about, I guess, coming again, me, me not, me not being a CPA or an enrolled agent, like either you smart gentleman. So business owners are always used to, and this is, you know, when I was in my early twenties, I remember somebody telling me like, oh, well, if you give office hours, that's the big qualifying question, right? Like if you give somebody office hours, they are an employee, they're a W-2. Is that, I mean, I'm sure that's changed because obviously, I mean, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people have gone to remote working. So things have changed a little bit, but are there any questions like that, that you might ask early on, just kind of qualifiers say, Hey, do they meet this? Do they meet this? Do they meet this? No, they cannot be a contractor. Um, and then kind of on the other side of it too, do you have people that, you know, clients that come to you and say, oh, well, we're, we're all contractors. And you look at them and say, well, these two over here, um, those are problem children. You might want to reconsider that. And then how do you really handle that relationship a little bit or that conversation? Yeah, it's tough. Um, so the IRS does have a 20 point checklist. They have basically a, a question, a questionnaire effectively that you can go in and answer, um, either as, you know, the hirer or the hiree and kind of use that to evaluate where do I fall here? And admittedly, when you do that, it's never, almost never cut and dry. Uh, you know, there's, it's a, almost always, you can make an argument for either way. I think generally most of what I see is employers wanting to just put people on 1099 because it's easier. Um, typically you don't have to file any paperwork to, you know, tell the state that you've hired somebody. Uh, you don't have to set up a fancy payroll system that, you know, collects sales taxes. You don't have to pay half of the, uh, not sales taxes, payroll taxes. You don't have to collect half of the social security, Medicare, pay that in for the employee. So, uh, in my experience, most of the time, employers kind of err that way. They're just like, oh, I'm just going to pay somebody 1099 because it's easier. Um, I would say that has become, in my experience, a little bit less of an issue in more recent years, um, partly because of the, kind of the huge push to people to begin freelancing and having side hustles. I feel like a lot more people understand what it is to be a contractor or to be a 1099 person, a freelancer, as opposed to being an employee um, now than maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago. 
Um, and so it, may, it might be a little bit easier to have somebody that wants to work with you that's more open to working as a contractor as opposed to wanting to come on board as a W-2 employee. Well, it makes total sense. And then the, maybe some of the one, I mean, without getting too far into the weeds, but you know what are, what are the ramifications for, say, an employee that goes out and hires all contractors, right? But yet they have an office, their office is staffed. Like there's a lot of red flags in something like that. Like what is, what does it look like? What kind of, what kind of trouble are they in for lack of better terms? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's a good question. So actually one of the first experiences that I had, um, working as an accountant, I worked at a, a nationwide construction firm in college and I don't have their information posted anywhere. So <laughs> no one's going to know who it is. Uh, we won't dig it up. We promise. Yeah, you won't find it anyway. Good, good, good. Um, <clears throat> they they did work all across the United States. And so I came in in college. I was probably a sophomore in college. And I was kind of, kind of acting as like a controller, um, handling payroll, paying bills, doing all that kind of stuff. And they had 20 to 30 contractors that would go out and um, work all across the U.S. every single week um, doing construction and installation and things like that. And um, that's kind of one of the first things I noticed. There, there's this back and forth of like, you know, are they contractors? Are they employees? And, um, you know, there were issues at that, uh, that job that I had about um, employment classification. There were some of those people that, that disagreed about being treated as a contractor. And, um, you know, there's, there could be ramifications with the IRS. Um, if somebody feels like they're misclassified, they can file, I believe it's form SS8 to basically send that into the IRS and ask for a determination on whether they're a contractor or not. Um, if somebody's paid as a contractor and they disagree and they think they should be a W-2 employee, they could also potentially, um, I believe they could file uh, like a substitute for a W-2 on their personal tax return. I believe that's form 8919, if I'm not mistaken. And basically, so that's in that, in that case, somebody gets a 1099 and they think they're a W-2 contractor or a W-2 employee and they file that form, it could put the employer on the IRS's radar and they could essentially do an audit and potentially make them file payroll tax returns, pay that social security and Medicare tax in on behalf of, uh, of that contractor who should have been an employee. Um, there's also unemployment issues, uh, unemployment insurance issues with, you know, people that are, uh, a super common one is, uh, someone that's paid as a contractor and, uh, they don't even know what that is and they get let go and they go to, uh, file for unemployment and the unemployment office basically says you're you're not an employee you have you have no reportable wages to claim as um you know yet no premiums have been paid in for you as an employee so you can't collect unemployment and that could lead you know to a state audit in that case so uh plenty of things can can go wrong if you mess it up and and really again in my opinion, it comes down to being on the same page. The person that's hiring and the person that's being hired, if you have a conversation there, both parties understand what they're getting into, um, that can overcome a lot of potential hurdles. Absolutely. And this question actually for both of you guys, um, 
So regarding taxes, so it's, this is for, you know, like our, our general listeners out there, you know, contractors, I know we did a, did an episode and we have a lot of content on our courses about gig workers. So gig workers aren't necessarily just an Uber driver. We love our Uber drivers, as we always say, you know, those are your freelance graphic designers or writers or consultants, et cetera. So again, from the tax side, what would be the benefits? I know we talked about it a little bit, the benefits to actually quote unquote, going into business for yourself as a contractor and those relationships with your clients versus the W-2 side. So let's almost envision this and kind of visualize this for somebody. They have two opportunities in life. They can either go left and take a full-time position in an organization or say within the same organization, they could come in as a contractor. So maybe again, kind of between both of you guys, kind of walk us through those options. Same person, same company, same job in a sense, obviously some differences in classification there. So walk us through how that would benefit them regarding taxes. And Chris, maybe you want to start us off on that one? Right. Well, I think I want to, Jason made a great point before we jump into this is that when you're looking at that employee versus independent contractor classification, the risk is on the person that is uh, employing, I guess, or hiring, I should say, right? Hiring the the person providing labor. And like Jason said, you, there's a lot of exposure for payroll taxes. If you if someone is deemed to be an employee and if they go back three years and you owe payroll taxes for that person plus the penalties, that is very punitive. Ouch. The other issue is you could get wrapped up with ERISA. So let's say they have a retirement plan at the, within their company and you were included you do not want to get you do not want to get involved with that where where all of a sudden you should have made all these contributions to a retirement account on behalf of an employee health insurance so like jason mentioned something really um important when it comes to that relationship let's be i mean basically it's going to be hard for anyone to know something that someone's misclassified unless something happens but what can happen is and he, he, Jason mentioned someone goes to get unemployment benefits or someone's making $60,000, $80,000 a year on a 1099. And they think in their mind, their taxes are getting taken out and they owe $20,000 on the taxes and they can't pay. And then the IRS comes in and says, okay, well, wait a sec. You shouldn't have been, you shouldn't have been an independent contractor anyway. And who do you think the IRS is going to be able to collect money from? Uh, someone that, a business owner that's employing several people or this, uh, this person that's kind of on, on an island that was misclassified. So those are the, the risk is all on the person paying. Um, but you know, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, there are actually are some advantages. We talked about that in our podcast of Not All Incomes Tax the Same. That someone that's an independent contractor that uh, maybe Jason could touch on. That you know they might get QBI deduction, or they, maybe they could take some legitimate expenses against that income. Yep. Those, really, those are the two major ones that come to mind for me. Um, you know, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, that got rid of the two percent. Um, is I don't even remember it now. Was it a two percent AGI floor for uh, employee expenses? Right. Yeah, unreimbursed employee expenses. Correct. Right. So, if you're a W two employee, it used to be that you could uh, deduct your. You know, it's kind of an oxymoron, but they called them unreimbursed business employee expenses or employee business expenses, but essentially expenses that you incurred 
you know, in the line of work that you were doing as an employee, the IRS would let you take some of that as a deduction on your personal tax return, but that's gone after 2017. So, uh, you know, if you're a freelancer, <clears throat> um, you know, business owner 1099, you can deduct, you know, under IRC section 162, you can deduct any of your business expenses that are ordinary and necessary in doing your job as a contractor. So, um, huge benefit, right? You're taxed on on the net, not on the gross of what you make in that role versus now employees, you're taxed on the gross. Um, there's there's no way to beat that number down except for, you know, working less and that's going to leave you with less money. <laughs> um, and, you know, like you mentioned too, the, the QBI deduction, um, you know, if you're a freelancer, you're a sole proprietor in the eyes of the IRS, that is an entity that is eligible for the 20% QBI deduction. Um, so subject to other, so other limitations, um, you know, deducting half of your um, self-employment tax and all that stuff, the IRS is basically going to chop 20% of your net income off of your taxable income before calculating how much you owe. So definitely, uh, there are definitely benefits, you know, to being a freelancer. Um, again, in addition to that, you know, move towards more people being freelancers, um, there's more of an incentive now actually to be taxed that way. Of course, you know, the benefit of being an employee is that your um, employer is going to pay for half of your social security and Medicare tax, which is nice. Um, and then also there could be other fringe benefits associated with being an employee, like health insurance, um, workers' compensation, if you get injured, you know, doing your job. So, um, yeah. So really there, the benefits as a whole as being a 1099 far outweigh that of a W-2, but the W-2 is kind of a, a set it and forget it, right? Like you, you have almost zero control in some regard. You have very little control on the tax that's being paid versus if you're a, con a 1099, a contractor, you re I mean, the, the ball's really in your court as long as, but again, that's the assumption that you have to make. If you, if you choose to go that in that direction, you have to be willing to take that role and responsibility of figuring that out, or you're going to get, in a sense, taxed to death um, yes. if you do nothing or you or you go the other way and just write off every single thing you can possibly think of. And then you're basically the most unbankable person on the planet if you go to buy a house, which is a whole other topic, which I know we've talked about over and over again in other episodes. Mm -hmm. And of worms. There, so there are, yeah, I mean, there are, there are benefits of each one. Um, you know, I think that the, the the important thing to remember that is is that if you have a business or you are an independent contractor, uh, or just make sure that you're if you own a business, you're classifying your labor properly. We always know there's a gray area, and um, but the facts and circumstances, which is your behavioral control, your financial control, and your relationship with the parties, that's going to dictate. Um, what that person is. And I would advise, we're not attorneys here, but I would advise no matter what your classification is, is to have some type of contract in place that's written that, that says, Hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. Um, you know, this is like, like John, you know, you can, you can, you can produce this podcast. This doesn't preclude you from producing other podcasts and you could produce this podcast whenever the heck you want to. And you work on other podcasts. So for the purposes of this podcast, you're an independent contractor. Um, but but it could go the other way if, if the facts and circumstances were different. 
And then really, just as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, so what would be your best advice to both sides of that? I know this is kind of recapping what we already talked about, but to an employer, you know, looking to grow, um, you know, what would be your best advice you would give to them? But then also on the other side for an employee or a contractor kind of in discussion, say with a potential employer, um, as far as for how that relationship looks with them. So two examples, again, you know, I love two examples of everything, both sides of the fence. So kind of walk us through, give us maybe your top couple chunks of advice for either one of those to keep them out of trouble and to keep some more money in their pocket potentially. Yeah. So I think, um, I think you're going to get two situations. I think you're going to get cut and dry situations and you're going to get uh, situations that aren't so black and white. In the cut and dry situations, you know, somebody comes on, they're clearly a W-2 employee, um, just hire them, you know, call it a day, move on. Right? And there's going to be other situations where you're, it's going to be cut and dry that the person's a contractor, right? Uh, a business owner hires me to do their taxes. I have my own business. It's cut and dry. Uh, there's no question there. Even if we sign a contract that says, you know, I'm an employee, it doesn't matter. The facts and circumstances say, in this situation, I'm a contractor. When the situation is not black and white, uh, I kind of touched on this earlier, it's just super important to be transparent between the person hiring and the person being hired. Um, like Chris mentioned, the almost the only time anything comes of a misclassification case uh, is when there's a disagreement between you know the classification, and that's almost always going to be on the side of the person being hired, right? They disagree with how they're being classified. So if you have an upfront conversation with somebody that you're hiring about what the role is, how you're going to pay them, um, that that's the absolute best advice I can give. You know, recap that that conversation in an email or in a contract, and um, I would also say. Don't be afraid to hire people as employees. Um, you know, I think a few years ago, you know, five, 10 years ago, that was kind of the big thing is people didn't want to deal with it. It's not all that hard to hire employees these days. You know, you fill out an application to get an unemployment account number, um, sign up with a, a payroll service, and uh, it's not all that hard. So don't let, you know, doing things the right way keep you from hiring people in your business that can help you. So that's what I'd leave you with. Hey, excellent advice. Excellent, excellent advice. advice. And yeah, absolutely. Excellent advice. And for, for business owners and um, out there that want to expand on that and maybe have questions about employee, employee employment classification or, or general tax questions or interested in working with Jason, I know he offers a discovery call, I think 15 or 20 minute discovery call um, for, for a, a prospective client, making sure it's a good fit. What's the best way people should get uh, can get a hold of you? Yep. Uh, you can visit my website, jasonmallcpa.com. And uh, on my website, you can either submit a, a message through the message box. Uh, my email is on there. And you can also schedule a, disco a discovery call directly on my website as well. So visit the website and I'll tell you everything you need to know. Excellent. So your Excellent. website is very clean and very user-friendly. And we'll pop that link too in the show notes as well here too. So you, everybody who's listening to this, you do not have an excuse while well, you haven't clicked on that link if you have a question. So on that note too, we will also drop some links in the show notes of this podcast too for some previous podcasts related to this. I think a good one 
we might toss in there would be uh, really what qualifies as a business deduction, I think is pretty related as well. Um, and also some other links to some TTF resources. So thank you, gentlemen, as always, for joining us. Chris, you're stuck with me for yet another episode. You know, we'll have you back, I guess. We'll we'll let you back on your own show. But Jason, thank you for your time as well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, everybody. And we will see everybody next week as always. Hey, everybody. John here still from the Teaching Tax Flow team. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us on this episode as we demystified those differences between a contractor, a 1099 contractor, and a W-2 employee, not that 1099 employee or a W-2 contractor. So clearly, if you listen to the show, you get my corny joke there. But as promised, look at the show notes. There's actually a link there to Jason's website. There's a link to another podcast we suggest you maybe listen to, as just mentioned, as well as a direct link to sign up for your free, that's right, absolutely free membership with Teaching Tax Flow. Click on the links below in the show notes. Take you straight there, as always, as well. Join that Defeating Taxes Facebook group. Great information. We hope to see you there. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.